So, very excitingly today, I'm not preaching. You're welcome. <laughs> but even more excitingly than that, uh, my friend, our friend, Brad Sider is going to be preaching. Uh, Brad ha is kind of a friend of Wellspring from a long way back. He and Bill go a long way back in the, all the halls and the ciders hang out together a lot. They're all awesome. Um, Brad works at a center downtown working pretty much exclusively with really marginalized people. I actually got to know Brad through his work with Circles, uh, which again works with very high risk uh, ex-offenders. Um, I really got to see his heart and, and learn a lot from Brad in that role and as something that still inspires and encourages me. And one of the reasons I, I love doing the work that I do is because I saw Brad do it so well. Uh, so with the, <laughs> I'm going to read some scripture and then Brad's going to come up and preach for us and it's going to be wonderful. So I'm going to read from Luke 1 beginning at verse 39. It says this, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. I'll pray for you quickly, Brad. Well, we thank you for Brad. We thank you for everything you've revealed about yourself to him. Lord, we pray that our hearts be subtle, subtle, supple, and moldable, excited by what you have to teach us today through him. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, thank you for uh, allowing me to uh, speak to you this morning. And um, it's good to be here. Thank you for the introduction. And uh, when... Uh, James James asked me to to preach. He's he was asked, could you could you speak on Elizabeth? And uh, I was like Elizabeth, uh, uh, John the Baptist's mom. It's like I don't know a lot about Elizabeth, um, but uh, okay, I'll have a look at the passage and see see what's there. I read the passage over, and uh, quickly it seemed very obvious to me. It maybe should have been obvious to begin with, but pretty obvious that. The themes in the, um, in the story are, uh, the story does not work if two women are not pregnant. And then I go back to James, and I'm like, are you sure <laughs> you want me, a white guy, a white male, to speak on uh, a story that is so, so heavily reliant on uh, pregnancy? He's like, no, oh, no, you'll be fine. I went back again, I was like, are you sure? I probably, we probably had that conversation maybe three times, and here I am. So, uh, I, uh, if I get it wrong, <laughs> you can blame James. <laughs> um, but I, I hope that I'm able to, to deal with this, this story and this passage with, uh, with uh, some things that are helpful. And uh, if I get, again, if I get it right, hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to, to be gracious. The story, the story has four, four main characters. 
So there's Zachariah, the husband of Elizabeth, Elizabeth, oh, and Mary, and Gabriel. Gabriel in the story is called an angel, uh, but um, the word for that is, is messenger. I hope that I'm able to, before I go to that, I hope that I'm able to show to you that actually as I was reading the story, I start to realize Elizabeth is actually very vital to this story and very vital to the life of Mary. And I hope that I'm able to show you or that I submit to you that, that um, she's actually the hero of the story, the heroine. Uh, this thing doesn't, sh she gets, as we see, she gets everybody to calm down. This, this Gabriel, this messenger, I think a lot of times at Christmas, my, my other hope with this is, is that I can kind of present something that's, that's grounded in our humanity. At Christmas time, we got a lot of angels flying around. We got like a lot of, a lot of supernatural stuff. But it's a story, these stories are grounded in human experiences. And um, the text does say, almost every version I ever read says angel, angel, angel. You go to if you go to about Gabriel, but if you read it, it says uh, in the Greek, it says messenger. So I just like for us. I, I don't want to think, oh, who's the crazy guy up there? But I just submit to you, why exactly do angels need wings? <laughs> you know that idea of like what you know these this idea of the supernatural these supernatural beings that just pop in. The idea here, and the most important part, is, is that there is a message from God to Mary, to Zacharias, that, these, that they have a message. Gabriel shows up, and in a very human context, Zacharias is in the temple. He's at work. He's been given some tasks to do, and he's about the business of doing them. He's in a private part of the temple, and this Gabriel, the messenger Gabriel, shows up. The, the text says that, that he's frightened. He's scared initially. And then the, uh, the messenger, Gabriel, goes on to tell him that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to become pregnant. The text tells us that they are older, that they are probably beyond what people would regularly consider childbearing years. He's surprised by it. He doesn't completely understand it. It actually says that he's been praying for it. But He's still surprised by it. He doubts the message. Gabriel, uh, again, I don't mean to be irreverent. I'm not convinced he does a great job. <laughs> that, that, he's, that the way that he gives the message out. Zacharias has some questions. He's like, so how's it going to happen? We're a little older. Uh, the, uh, Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to you to, to speak to you. And because you have not believed me, you will now be silent. You are going to lose your voice. So Gabriel's like, it's kind of like a, don't you know who I am? <laughs> and Zachariah's kind of like, I don't think I do. And uh, he, but because of this doubt, the text, the text does allude to the fact that Zacharias harbors doubt. And this doubt is significant enough that he loses his voice. Um, somehow he, 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 end, like, he goes back, he and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth does become pregnant. Uh, Elizabeth is happy. The text says uh, 
so she says, Elizabeth says, the Lord has done this for me. Uh, in, in these days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She's never had a baby. And she has felt the disgrace, the pressure of the community not to have had a baby. I find it interesting that Mary and Elizabeth are going through the same life event, but they experience it in very different ways. Elizabeth, it's a, it's a, it's a weight lifted off her shoulders. The fact that she hasn't been able to get pregnant, the fact that she hasn't been able to have a child is kind of a, an anchor around her neck. Probably in her context, probably people see it as a spiritual deficit. Somehow, God has not shown her favor because she has not been able to have a child. On the other hand, Mary, as we'll get to in a minute, has a pregnancy under completely different circumstances that raises a whole bunch of other questions. That she's, uh, where's the husband? You're not married. What's going on? And so she feels the shame of a pregnancy. It's, 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 it's in, of, of having to bear a child. In any case, Elizabeth's happy. Um, then Gabriel, the messenger, makes his way to Mary. So in the first part, he's talking to Zacharias. Now he's made his way, he's going to, he's going to Mary, and he's got the same message. He's like, Mary, uh, and in this case, I have to make sure, I'm not, I hate to say it, I'm getting at the age where I have to make sure I can read the thing. Um, <laughs> the, the angel, the angel went to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. <laughs> that, every time I read that, it kind of makes me laugh. Because I have in my mind this picture, sometimes we do that in the church, we are like kind of super, got this super spiritual stuff going on, and oh, God loves you, and da, da, da. and we don't recognize that that message actually like scares people. <laughs> and Mary, Mary, so Gabriel comes up, and you're highly favored, and he's, and it troubles her. It scares her. So Gabriel's, his track record's not great. He scared Zachariah. Now he's scared Mary. And Mary, just like Zacharias, has some questions. So, I'm not married. She says, I'm a virgin. How is this going to work? It's actually a similar question. How does this work? Uh, and then, so... Gabriel has to go, well, the Holy Spirit, and then he goes into this verse about how the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her in power and all this sort of stuff. I, the answer on some level, I've come to the conclusion, this is for me, for myself, I guess. I don't know if I had asked that question how I would respond to that answer, but I wasn't the one asking the question. It was Mary. And that answer worked for her. Sort of. And it was enough. And she was okay with that answer, and so I'm okay with that answer. The, having said that, we get to verse 38. I probably don't have your Bibles open, but um, Mary, eventually, eventually she says, okay, I'll do it. I, I actually think that this is a, I think some, we talk about proclamation and all this sort of stuff, and, Mary's just finding out. She's got no 
she's got no agency in this whatsoever. I actually don't think that's what's happening. I think this is a conversation. And I think she needs to be heard. And she's, like I say, she's got questions. And the verse, in my mind, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be according to your word. To me, in our context, Mary is giving her consent. She's saying, I'll do this. The, I came upon it by accident. I'm like, man, this, this passage is getting complicated. So that word, so I came across it by, by accident. So there's the phrase that says, I am the Lord's servant. That word servant is dumbed down. What it means, so, so and I, again, I found it by accident. I was like, to get ready for this, I found an online concordance. I'm playing around with it. And I put in, I guess I put in that verse and their servant. And the word that comes up is doula. Or, uh, and I'm like, oh, doula. That's like, uh, in our context, that's uh, um, someone who helps a woman who has, has birth at home, who has a birth at home, and they help them through that process. That's our context right now. However, <laughs> um, it, actually, it actually means female slave. I was like, yo, James, what have you got me into? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like how, do I, how, <laughs> how do I reasonably deal with this? And uh, I, I, this came up late yesterday, late yesterday. And I was like, I, I, it's not one of those things I felt I could just ignore. So, so in my mind's eye, again, which we, in this case was wrong, in my mind's eye, I'm like, oh, do we have a white woman running around saying that she's like a God's female slave? And what do I do with that? So number one, that's not accurate. She's not a white woman. She was a Hebrew. She's a Jew. And in that context, slavery was very much a part of their history. She knew exactly what that meant. The other thing is I started looking around. I'm like, well, where is this word used in other places? Now, uh, it's used. So Paul uses it. I'm God's slave. Peter uses it. I'm God's slave. I think James uses it. And as I started to consider it, I was like, uh, I think what they're referencing is, is, is that I recognize that the life I've chosen, so, P, so Paul, Peter, James, the life I've chosen is going to have significant hardship. That for us, that's going to mean being imprisoned. It's going to mean being beaten. They all are murdered. That they, they understand that to be God's slave comes with, and they are all Jewish as well. They, they are not using that term lightly. They understand what slavery is. And, but what I realized was, Mary, from what I can tell, I'm open to being wrong, uh, but from what I can tell is the only woman who uses this, who talks about being a slave. And then it dawned on me, so there's a little bit, so yesterday, there's a little bit of an aha moment. I'm like, oh, Mary is saying that an unwanted pregnancy a surprise pregnancy, however you want to frame it, is on the same level as imprisonment. It's on the same level of torture, of abuse, which is all what 
Paul, Peter, and James, when they talk about it, that's what they're referencing. I think it, and this is something I think, if I may be so specific, is it something as men we need to pay attention to. That is how difficult pregnancy can be. We have all kinds of, we have all kinds of images you know, we watch movies and people are put in jail. We have all kinds of images that we can relate to and go, oh my goodness, that's, these things are horrible. It's easy for us to uh, visualize those experiences. It's a little bit more difficult for us to kind of visualize and think through what that is, especially what it means to have an unwanted. I'm not saying that Mary's pregnancy was unwanted, but it certainly was a surprise. It was certainly something that she was not expecting. And she knew when she used that word, she knew that it was going to change her life. It was going to change her life forever. She was, she's just trying to get ready to get married to Joseph. She wasn't ready for all this other stuff. But she agrees to it. Paul, Peter, James agree to be God's slave after the resurrection. Mary agrees to it, not really knowing much at all. And... And into this comes our heroine, heroine Elizabeth. She's dealing with two people who have had these very almost, uh, dare I say, traumatic experiences with this messenger, with this angel, with Gabriel. They, they, it's not gone well. And she's the one, so, so we know that she's, she's in a better mood, she's in a better place. But then I'm kind of, well, what, but, by the end of everything, so, so we know in verse, uh, so, we know, so we know a couple things. Mary, Mary after the, after the um, interaction with Gabriel, it says, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zach, Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. She doesn't go to her parents. She doesn't go to her siblings. She doesn't go to her best friend. Well, I don't know, maybe Elizabeth's her best friend. I don't know. But she hurries to Elizabeth. So there's something about Elizabeth, probably the fact that they're going through something similar, but there's something that she wants to go see Elizabeth about. And she hurries there. So what's going on? What is it, what is it about Elizabeth that generates that reaction from her? Why is Elizabeth so important? Uh, I, I looked into that idea of greeting. I was kind of wondering what's going on with this, with greeting. Uh, it talks about she, they greet each other. I think in our, con and then there's, the, the greeting seems to, to bring Mary back. It, it seems to bring some peace to her. Uh, in our context, in Canada, a greeting is, hey, how's it going? Or, hi, how are you? Uh, again, I didn't have a lot of time to check this. I, I became kind of interested in what does a greeting mean to someone in the ancient Near East? So what does a greeting mean to someone who's in, in Israel at this time? It's a little hard. I've got a full-time job. I was like trying to figure it out. Uh, but what I did come across and what I think makes a little bit of sense is a greeting for Jewish folks is, is we know what it is. It's shalom. And, uh, and sometimes what happens, sometimes it seems what they say is, How's it, how has it been? What has happened? Shalom, what has happened? It's a greeting. So for us, greetings are, hey, how's it going? We want, we're, it's very much in the moment. 
How are you feeling right now? A greeting in their situation is a little more like peace. What has been happening in your life? It's actually two very different questions. So Mary, in that, I think, in that context, starts to be able to say this is what's been happening. She and probably shares what has been happening in her life. Elizabeth is, this is amazing. <laughs> I don't know if Mary feels that right away. But I asked, again, I asked, what, what was it that Elizabeth was doing that allowed everybody to, to kind of recenter? Conclusion is, is I'm not sure she was doing a lot. She's kind of being herself. She, uh, she's, she clearly is encouraging. She's, uh, she listens. She believes Mary. I think that that's very important. She also believes her husband, by the way. Uh, but she's just herself. She's available. And that made me, and when I started to read that, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of think I know what Mary's up to. I, I feel like I, I understand her a little bit. I'm sorry, Elizabeth. I think I understand Elizabeth a little bit better. Um, when I was working at uh, I, I came, I've come across the idea of a ministry of presence. It's nothing that you can really find in the Bible, but it's kind of something that's, that's you know, that the church has picked up over time, this ministry of presence. It's the idea of showing up, really. Coming alongside people, journeying with people, being present in whatever situations they find themselves in. I was working at a place, and I was like, kind of like, hey, you know, ministry presence. And, and we were having conversations in the drop-in and all that sort of stuff. But higher up, it wasn't catching on. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, James referenced that eventually, you know, you change jobs, and that happens. And show up at uh, uh, Dismas. So Dismas is one of the things we did at Circles of Support. And Dismas is a community group. It's a group for offenders and volunteers and come together and share some life together. One of the days I walk in, and uh, so the volunteers usually comprised of Mennonites, Catholics, and the United Church, those, and a couple Baptists, but, but those were kind of where they came from. The one day, so the Catholics were there, usually they tended to be older men. Uh, I always thought they were kind of type A personalities and they, you know, telling you, you know, they weren't shy about letting you know what they thought and what you should do and all that sort of stuff. And they, uh, the one day, Don comes in, but they, they were all a little bit older and they were going through the process of becoming a de deacons. Uh, in the Catholic Church, you know, here we, you vote on being an elder or a deacon and it's kind of, it actually takes an afternoon or whatever it is. It's actually quite a lengthy process in the Catholic Church. You have to go through some stuff to become a deacon. Don comes in, he's like, I've learned the most fabulous thing. Like, you know, he, he had been, he's been training in his ministry to be a deacon. I've learned the most fabulous thing. And uh, I'm like, okay, you know, tell me more. <laughs> and he's like, I've learned about the ministry of presence, he says. It's like, oh, he, he still to this day does not have, know how that spoke to me. But he's like, we just have to go to hospitals and we sit with people and we show up. We just go to pe where people are. And I think sometimes when you're a type A personality, 
the relief of just needing to show up and be with people and not having to have an answer for every single thing actually can take a weight off your shoulders. And so he was just, I, I don't know, I, 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 will, I think I will always remember that interaction. If I can pull this up, I also want to read, this is, some of you may know, uh, like I said, I'm getting used to not seeing as well. The um, Henry Nowen, the, uh, some of you will know who he is. He's a Catholic priest. He's passed away. He, he was influential. I spoke to, uh, you know, lived here in Toronto, worked with a large community, for, worked with folks who were disabled. Um, and, uh, or, sorry, had, had developmental delay. And uh, worked with a large community. And, uh, you know, just quickly, you know, had been a Harvard, I believe it was Harvard, had been a professor, had actually had a very prominent career, like very well, well respected. Kind of went and worked with, with uh, other folks and, and uh, kind of very, very attuned to the spiritual life and helped a lot of people with regards to developing their own spirituality and the spiritual life within them. I want to read something that he said. More and more the desire grows in me simply to walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It is a privilege to have the time to practice this simple ministry of presence. Still, it is not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be part of an impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It is difficult not to have plans, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you are working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories and tell your own, and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but you truly love them. I think that the hero of our story the hero of this story, Elizabeth, was doing exactly that. She's giving hugs. She's letting Mary know that she was loved. She's letting her husband know. Zacharias, you're loved. I'll look after you. Can't talk. You know, you're having trouble speaking, all that sort of stuff. I'm going to look after you. That's, that's what she was up to. A lot of times when people talk about being present with people, they say, oh, that's kind of, what, what, is that, what does that do? Well, it's exactly what now I'm saying. He's like, don't get caught, so caught up in the doing of things. Get caught up in being with people. But I'll tell you, if you put your mind to being present, it's not as easy as it seems. You'll put yourself in the presence of people you feel who are awkward, who you have no patience with. You will spend Christmas this year with probably family members. That, that, that's where you need to start. You need to start with the folks who maybe are closest to you drive you a little bit crazy and be present with them, kind of learn their name again. If you are present with people, you will come across pain. Uh, you'll come across suffering. Uh, and it will most likely start to change your worldview. Things will change. When we were working in the drop-in, uh, 
Sorry if I get a little choked on this example. This is a number of years ago. This is a while ago now. Uh, some of you know who the people in this story, Dwight and Chris. Uh, we were talking in the drop-in about this idea of being present, not just existing in the drop-in, but going out to where people were living their lives. If they, show, if they were in jail, we would go to jail. If they were in the hospital, we would go to the hospital. Wherever, if they needed help with CIA, whatever, whatever experiences they were starting to have, we would, we would engage with them. Where they found themselves, which wasn't always in a drop-in. One of the young women we were working with was, yeah, was pregnant. And we, uh, we were celebrating that. We were happy for her. She's indigenous. It's important to this story because we would find out that the health care she received and the things that she needed, uh, she did not get. Some of this story could have been avoided. There are problems in systemic inequalities that uh, lead to more trauma and lead to more pain. In any case, we thought that we were, the baby had been born, Dwight and Chris. So Dwight and Chris, just to put some context around it, Chris is like, he shaves his head, he's like, the youth would come in, they'd call him Mr. Clean, you know, like, and he, he's, he worked out and he was, he was tall, he's a police officer now. That's the sort of guy he was, he's, he's stoic, very much a man's man. Dwight, on the, Dwight, same kind of thing, very athletic, very good at martial arts, all that kind of stuff. We've been talking about that. Let's, this, this young woman has had her child. Let's go visit her. Let's, let's celebrate this birth. They get to the hospital, and uh, Dwight tells us, as Dwight tells the story, uh, they say, oh, we'll, we'll bring the, I think the staff said, we'll bring you the baby. The baby, they bring the baby to Dwight, and still, at that point, the, the baby w wasn't alive. It's, we were expecting that the baby would be, um, <laughs> that there was a living baby. It, I didn't realize this, but when, when a baby is born, stillborn, in order for the, um, as part of some kind of care, they, they keep the baby for, 24 to 48 hours. They actually will put the baby in a fridge and all that sort of stuff. And they'll bring it out. But, but Dwight holds the baby and he realizes that this complexion, the skin is wrong and the lips are blue. And as he tells it, he's like, I almost dropped the baby. And so we had quickly had to pivot from like celebrating the birth of a child, wondering where we're going to get the diapers, where we're going to get the food. Are we going to need to help with CAS? How do we help her keep her child? to putting together a funeral. And she's on assistance, a funeral in those situations. When you're on assistance, uh, you basically have a cardboard box, put the, put the baby in it. And we, but we, we went through the process of doing this funeral for, for the baby's name would be Jonah, for Jonah. And uh, you know, we go to the funeral and we participate and some of the staff I was working with were very involved in kind of helping prepare the service and all that sort of stuff. That's that piece about the pain. It's hard. What do you do? I don't know. Just show up. What else is there? No answers to it. Why is our system so crazy that 
She should never have gone through that. Doctors should have been able to say that this isn't, this is all headed in the wrong direction. It should have been resolved well before birth like that. The other thing, though, that happens at the, fun at the funeral is the funeral is like a collage of a whole bunch of people. Like, it's not a big one, but there's a lot of different people there. There's those of us who are workers, uh, who work in the drop-in, people who are struggling with their own addictions, and there's folks who have uh, sexual, their sexual orientation is different than mine. One of the things that happens is, is to this day, one of the most gentle, beautiful people that I know, trans person, gets up and reads Ecclesiastes. There's a time for and reads that, reads that passage in this funeral. And for me, something that's been in transition for a while, but all of a sudden a worldview, my worldview, starts to shift. Uh, I've, I've never been in a service where a trans person has read the Bible. Never been in it. I'm not sure if I've experienced it since. I got to, and I kind of just over time got to know them a little bit. Not a lot, but a little. I knew that the depth of spirituality was strong, that they had, that they had, suffer, that they had their own suffering. That, but a beautiful, gracious spirit, a gracious spirit to people that did not deserve it. And uh, the thing that happens, like I say, the thing that happens to me is something starts to shift. Well, I don't know, however many years later, uh, you know, it's pretty much I'm getting there. It's a lot more formed. Uh, when you are present with people, things will happen. It will be hard. It will be tough. It was tough for Elizabeth. She had a lot going on. She had her own, she was six months, according to, she's six months pregnant. Her husband couldn't speak. And now she's got Mary coming into her house, and she's got to deal with all of that. For three months, it says. Mary was there for three months. Uh, I, think, I think I just clo close with this, just with these last couple, a couple comments. Mother Teresa said, she's famous for having said, that the problem with the world is that we have forgotten we belong to one another. The problem with the world is that we've forgotten we belong to one another. I think that the church is in Toronto is struggling with that idea. Not all places. There's like a lot of places, but I think it struggles with that idea of what does it mean to know and be known. We've kind of forgotten that we belong to one another. There's in my... What does that mean? In my current situation, uh, at the, uh, the shelter where people are experiencing homelessness, uh, uh, we have had an influx in Toronto of, of refugees. Those refugees that's put an extreme stress on the situation with homelessness. What before was already a strained situation, strained situation, folks with addictions, mental health, uh, coming from wherever in Canada, we now have an increase of folks coming from Africa. As far as I can tell, it hasn't been on the news. Not too much. But I know, because I'm seeing them, and I've talked to a few of them. 
They are they're from Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda in particular. There's a president in Uganda who is trying to, he's an old man, and he's trying to hold on to his power. And he has demonized the LGBT community. And uh, any not all the folks are from Uganda are LGBT. Some of them are political kind of dissidents. But a number of them are, and they're showing up, and they've been burned. They've been tortured. Showing up in Canada. They come to Montreal, and they make their way to Toronto, and we don't have place to do it. And we don't even talk about it. I mean, how much room and space after a pandemic do we have for all these issues? Uh, but the things we do in our lives matter. You're going to say, please don't get political on me, but eh, well, here it comes. <laughs> the decision, the things we ask of our politics, because if we belong to one another, we, like, we can say that, it's nice, but when we go to vote, or make these decisions around these sorts of things, are we thinking about our taxes? Or are we thinking about the, the young man who is married, whose wife has had to sell property in order to help her husband, who's in the LGBT community, you understand what I'm saying? The wife is helping them get to Canada so that they will be safe. She now has to take on burden. Not mind the burden of the, of the guys who are coming. Meanwhile, we're having conversations about taxes and whether they're too high. I don't want to be unsympathetic to that, but do we belong to each other? Elizabeth would say, yes, we belong to each other. And So, as you make decisions around these sorts of things, these things are important. What we decide to do and how we decide to spend our money. Finally with that is, is this is Christmas, and I think uh, this is a Christmas season, and uh, I, uh, I just want to bring every, all, all arrows need to point back to Jesus. This conversation has been about Elizabeth and Mary, all arrows point to Jesus. This will, this will all end with, and almost certainly will get me choked up, but that's all right. The, and since it's about the birth of children, uh, I'll simply reflect on, on my experience. My oldest, like I said, is going to be choked. No one's really prepared for parenthood. We can pretend we are, but we're not. And my oldest was born, you know, this is probably my uh, male won't go into when she was born you know in my mind's eye oh you know it would be this beautiful picture little scene and all that sort of stuff and baby would be born and hand it to Pam hand Lily to Pam and I'd be the like literally I was thinking this in my mind I'd be this like doting husband oh isn't this great and uh, all that sort of stuff when Pam has a baby no you hold the baby <laughs> she says she's tired she just did a lot of work so I'm the first person to hold my daughter Lily I hold her up, and the head falls forward. It struck me in that moment that the baby isn't, my child isn't strong enough to hold up their neck. 
Uh, their neck is not strong enough to hold up their head. Uh, it's just, I guess, not something I'd consider. When you think about it, childbirth is like very, very, it's very, very rare to participate in that. Well, some people don't get to participate in it at all. But the neck, the neck isn't strong enough to hold up the head. <sighs> my kids are going, uh, it's, it's what happened. I'll have to apologize to my children later, but the, the thing that comes into my mind, it really does, is, is, is like, oh, Jesus. It's an emotional moment. There's a lot going through your head, and I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that the spirit, spiritual thing kind of came. I was like, oh, the Creator, this is what we believe, the Creator of the universe came into His creation. And that there was a moment in time when the Creator of the universe wasn't strong enough to hold up His own head. That He became present with us. That's what he did. I don't know about the state of the church, and I, there's a lot of questions I have about all kinds of things, but I know that the thing that kind of, this Christian thing, what keeps me coming back to it, is if you can wrap your head around the idea of there being a God, there being a creator, I, I am motivated by that idea that and cherish that idea that the Creator did not leave us alone. That He, she, they decided to enter into their creation. And they did that at a large, at risk to Himself. Jesus did that at a risk to Himself. He's very, very vulnerable in that moment. All, all of us have been more vulnerable in that moment than we realize. That moment when we're first born. And uh, the Creator, Jesus, sets that example of being present. He knows pretty much all the emotions. Maybe not all experiences, but knows all the emotions. Knows what it is to be lonely. He knows what it is to argue with his family. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to die. He's been through all of that. He made a choice. He said, I will be present with this crazy, mixed-up creation of mine. I will be present with them. The res our response is, is, is that we be present with others. Whoever. Choose someone. Someone in your family. Refugees. I, you don't always have to be marginalized, folks. Just people that you feel called to, to be present with. Thank you for giving me a moment to share. I hope that, uh, I hope I've done a decent job in showing that Elizabeth in this story is our heroine. Thank you very much.